this morning and happy Father's Day, fathers. And I also want to recognize that it's been quite a week, especially for a number of you who are more involved in Bible school this week. And I echo what Randy said, that your work is not in vain. What you do, uh, you may not know until a later time, or you may never know, um, perhaps until eternity, the results of your work this week. As I thought about Father's Day today and a Father's Day message, the question that I'm asking myself is, what should a father be? What should a father be? And this message strikes close to home for me this morning because I've been a father now for about nine years, coming up on ten years. And I suppose you could say that a decade is a pretty good time to sit back and take inventory of what I have done, what I have been, the direction that my children are going, and do an evaluation. So today I'd like to explore four things that I would suggest that a father should be. And those four things are visionary, teacher, nurturer, and provider. And this is certainly not an exhaustive list. I suppose you could add to that a number of things. Um, but these are the four things that I would like, to, like us to look at today. Visionary, teacher, nurturer, and provider. And one thing that I want to mention here this morning is that this sermon is not just for fathers, but it's for every man that's here this morning, and mothers and ladies, hopefully you can take something from this today as well, but it's not just for fathers. This is also for grandfathers, for uncles, for older brothers, for young men, for those of you perhaps that are dating, thinking about getting married. This message is for all of us because God calls all of us as men to reflect his his image as a father. Now, particularly, God calls those of us who are physical fathers to be fathers, to reflect, to reflect God's image as a father. But I believe that God calls all of us men, young men, young and old alike, to be fathers in various ways to those around us. So I want to look at four things today, visionary, teacher, nurturer, and provider. And the first thing is visionary. Fathers are to cast vision and be able to deep focus on the task at hand without missing the moment. And if I was to guess today, as I look over you fathers, you young men, my guess is that most of you are relatively good at being able to deep focus on the task at hand. It's something that we're taught from little up. It's something that's very important. And I would also venture to guess that most of you are good at casting vision for the future, thinking about what's ahead, preparing for what's ahead. But I'm also guessing, and if you're like me, you, you probably have a challenge with missing the moment from time to time. And so I want to talk a little bit about being a visionary, looking out far into the future, while still being able to focus on the task at hand and still not missing the moment. And our foundation as men for being visionaries is God. God has always been 
a visionary. We saw that at creation. God created. He knew what he wanted to create. He had a vision in his mind for what he wanted to create, and he did that. Beyond that, when the first sin was committed, he briefly shared his long-term vision or his plan of salvation with Adam and Eve. And I suppose the serpent heard that as well. The serpent was also there. So God shared the vision that he had for the future. And in the book of Revelation, we also see the vision that God has for the future as well as the end of time. So as fathers, we are to follow God's example and be visionaries looking down the road at what is to come. The reason we are to do that is because fathers with vision see things that others cannot and do different things as a result. So as a father with a long-term vision, you will see things, perhaps how things affect your family, perhaps how things, your actions will affect you and your wife and your children and the church and because of those things, you will do different, different things as a result. You will take different actions. Not only that, but fathers with vision have a different value system than those without vision. So as fathers, we are to be visionaries and we are to look into the future. Fathers must also be operators. And what I mean by that is we must learn to deeply focus on the task at hand. So not only look down the road but also be focused on the task at hand and on getting it done. And as I said before, one of the challenges that we have as fathers is to learn to balance the need to be a visionary, to be an operator, and then also be able to focus on relationships, be able to focus in the moment. And this is a challenge for me, and I'm guessing, as I said previously, that it's a challenge for you as well, because we're hardwired to think about the future, to plan. We're also hardwired to get the job done in the moment. But what about those moments to stop and take time with my children? There's a song that has been going through my mind in the last couple of months particularly. And I'll just read part of it here. It's probably familiar to most of you. But I want to call you as fathers back into the moment with your children. We have this moment to hold in our hands, and to touch as it slips through our fingers like sand. Yesterday's gone, and tomorrow may never come, but we have this moment today. Tiny voice that I hear is my little girl calling for daddy to hear just what she has to say. And my little son, running there by the hillside, may never be quite like today. Hold them near while they're here, and don't wait for tomorrow to look back and wish for today. And I'm guessing some of you older men can understand what that's like to be where you're at and to not have the opportunity to go back. None of us have the opportunity to go back and do something different. So take that moment that you have today. If I could encourage you fathers with one thing and myself, It would be to not miss the little moments, the little opportunities. They're there. Make them count. Secondly, a father is to be a teacher. So first of all, fathers are to be visionaries without missing the moment. And secondly, fathers are to teach and to discipline 
without abusing power. And that's a balancing act. I don't know how you fathers have found it for yourself, but I found that to be a balancing act. And there's a strong scriptural basis for fathers providing discipline to their children. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 12, what Floyd read a bit ago. We'll look at these verses. Verses 5 through 11. There's words like chasten. There's words like chastisement. And I don't know what you think about when you think about these words. Probably something forceful, something brunt, brute force. So there's a strong scriptural basis for fathers providing discipline to their children. But what was remarkable to me as I looked at some of the words in this passage is that the primary definition for the word chasten was not punish, it was not spank. The primary definition is tutorage. And if you look at the root word of tutorage, you see the word tutor. The idea of education by training, and then by implication, disciplinary correction. Even the word chastisement in verse 8, there in chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all our partakers in are you bastards and not sons. Even that word chastisement is that exact same Greek word And the main idea there is to tutor or to teach. I don't want us to misunderstand this passage because the context helps us clearly understand that what God is doing, what God does to us from time to time, and what fathers are to do to their children is not always pleasant. We see some words in this passage like rebuke in verse 5, scourge in verse 6, and endure in verse 7, etc., So I don't want us to think that somehow we as fathers don't need to physically discipline our children. I believe that is important. But I believe that there's an element here that as I look over my life as a father, I believe sometimes I've missed. And that's the opportunity to teach. That's the opportunity to teach. This idea of being a tutor or of education by training, which is the primary definition of this word chastisement, And a tutor is a teacher of one student or a small group of students. And fathers, you probably have one student or a small group of students. And what an opportunity to impact and to teach that you have. There's a number of other passages in Proverbs that talk about this same word, chasten, chastisement, the same idea. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spareth the rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him, him, chasteneth him betimes. And chasten there, again, it has the idea of punishment. But beyond that, it also has the idea of warning and instruction to teach. And betimes means early. He that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. And I believe that the idea there of doing that early is, first of all, early in the problem. I believe as fathers, we have a responsibility to take care of problems early. You know, they say that there's a time in the life of every problem where it is big enough to see, but small enough to deal with. There's a time in the life of every problem where it's big enough to see, and yet small enough to deal with. And I think that's a challenge that we as fathers have in disciplining our children. But I believe it also means early on in life, and that would be age-appropriate discipline, of course, 
for smaller children. Teach them early what is right and what is wrong. Proverbs 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother, his mother to shame. And the combination there again of the rod and reproof, punishment and correction, not only punishment, but also teaching and admonishing and exhorting, punishment and correction, and a child left to himself or to herself or left undisciplined bringeth shame. This passage makes that clear. What I observe here again is that physical punishment is condoned in Scripture. It is important for us as fathers, especially. I would say for mothers as well, but I would say particularly for us fathers. But not without teaching and without one-on-one training. And what I hear loud and clear here is the need in my own life to to bring together the punishment with teaching and with one-on-one training, not one without the other. Physical punishment is not, I believe, intended to be an easy way out, the quick way to take care of the situation and then move on. And I found that challenging as a father from time to time to use that as a weapon, you could say, to take care of a situation and move on. But rather, all throughout Scripture, we see God as a father who used unpleasant experiences to shape and to mold his people, but it was always in the context of love with the ultimate goal of reconciliation. And what an example we have as fathers today in that way. Discipline is not just about forced compliance or eliminating bad behavior, forcing good behavior, but it is also teaching, teaching things like appropriate behavior, caring for others, self-control, and putting others ahead of myself. Now, we all know the saying that more is caught than is taught. I suppose you've heard that a number of times. And so as I thought about that, if I discipline or spank my children, but also make it clear by my actions that my needs are somehow more important than my wife's needs, I'm actually teaching them the opposite of what I think I'm teaching If I discipline my child to teach them self-control, but I'm always on my phone, I'm actually teaching my children the opposite of what I think I'm teaching. If I discipline my child, but do it out of anger and frustration, and I do not come back to love and to apologize to my child, I'm actually teaching them something different than what I think I'm teaching. And finally, if I do not discipline my child at all, I'm not teaching them that I love them, but rather that I don't care about them. Discipline and teaching is critically important, and we see that numerous times in Scripture. So what is the purpose of discipline? All children need structure, boundaries, guidelines, roles. And I would say all children, particularly boys, need a male influence, need discipline from adults, particularly men, and this role is typically taken by the father in their lives. Discipline comes in two forms. There's external discipline, and then there's internal discipline, and the goal, fathers, that I believe we have ahead of us is to use external discipline to teach internal discipline in the child. Ultimately, we want our children to be internally disciplined. 
Now, there's various forms of external discipline, um, allowing the child to suffer the consequences of what they've done, uh, learning, teaching them the pleasure of delayed gratification, teaching them the relationship between success and hard work, and learning personal accountability, among others. Children who do not experience discipline grow up to be unhappy adults living chaotic lives. So I think it's important for us to take this seriously. In addition, children who are not disciplined do not learn self-control. This is one of the things that has struck me more recently as a father, that children who do not learn self-control, I believe, are at a disadvantage spiritually when it comes to knowing and understanding God and when it comes to preparing them for their eternal salvation. If we desire our children to be eternally saved, to, be, um, to have a strong relationship with God, I think teaching them internal self-control is a very important part of that. They must learn to use long-range thinking over my short-term desires. And fathers, if we want them to learn that, we have to practice that. Long-term teaching over short-term desires. Long-term thinking over short-term desires. And they must learn to listen to reason and to common sense over fleshly desires. Not making a quick decision because it's it's what my flesh wants, but rather listening to reason and to common sense. Learning to listen to the inside rather than the outside prepares our children to listen to the Spirit in the future. I believe that's the way that God set it up. That as we teach our children to listen to what's on the inside rather than the fleshly desires, that ultimately they learn long-term to listen to what's on the inside, to listen to the Spirit, and ultimately heed the Spirit of God. Discipline involves, again, one-on-one teaching. I heard it stated this way, and be curious to hear some of you parents what you think about this. And I'm, my children are too young for this, so I'm allowed to say it. I'll say it now instead of waiting until later. Uh, but I heard it said this way, that by the time a child is 15, they should be able to run the household by themselves. That's cooking, cleaning, laundry, ironing, mowing the lawn, t- taking care of the garden, watering the flower beds, etc., etc. And I know what some of you 15-year-olds are thinking right now. You're thinking, my dad doesn't even know how to do all those things. I'm guessing some of you are thinking that. And that's probably right. Your dad has a lot of other things to keep straight and to keep in mind. So we'll, I guess we'll let him off the hook for today. And I suppose that he could learn to do those things rather quickly if he needed to. But I want us to think about that as parents. Where do we want our children to be by the time they're 10, 15, 20? What do we want them to know? What do we want them to understand? And how do we teach them? How should we be, how should we be teaching them now so that they're prepared for that by those times? So as a father, what is my motivation for discipline? Do fathers sometimes apply external discipline for the wrong reason? Do I sometimes do it out of anger and frustration Do I sometimes do it out of desire for control or maybe a desire to make myself look good? And so it's up to us, fathers, how we discipline. Discipline in love and discipline with 
and attitude of teaching. So a father is to be a visionary and a teacher. And thirdly, a father is to be a nurturer. Now we often think of a nurturer as mothers. And mothers tend to fill that role more so than fathers in a general sense. But what I want us to think about this morning, fathers, is that we are to protect and to care for our wives and our children without taking advantage of them. And you might think, what do you mean without taking advantage of them? What I mean is this. As fathers, we have the unique opportunity of having the spirit, soul, and body of our children in our hands from a young age. God gives it to us. It's in our hands. Yes, the, the life is God's, but God gives us that responsibility. And God designed this, I believe, as an opportunity for us to teach, to care for, and to point our children to God and toward making proper choices. As fathers, we are responsible to protect the body, the soul, and the spirit of those entrusted in our care. And it's not a small task. It's not a small thing to do. It's challenging. It's difficult. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. As fathers, we protect their bodies by teaching them discipline and by sharing age-appropriate facts of life conversations early on. And parents, I believe we can understand that some of those conversations need to be had sooner rather than later as opposed to the way it was in past generations because of the way that our culture is going. And I think it's important for us to protect our children, to help them protect themselves in this way. Fathers, we are to protect their souls, their mind, their will, and their emotions. We are to feed their minds with knowledge about how things work. We are to care about their education. We're to be passionate about teaching them and helping them learn. I mentioned this before, that as fathers, we are teachers. But we are the gatekeeper for protecting their souls, and that includes their minds as well. It also includes their will, teaching them how to make good decisions and and then allowing them to make their own decisions as age and maturity allow. And I don't know how you found it, fathers. I find it relatively easy to tell my children the decisions that they should make. And I find it relatively challenging to allow them to make their own decisions as age and maturity allow. Allow them to fail from time to time. Allow them to experience that. And allow that to guide them to make better decisions the next time. And I want to encourage us as fathers in that. That's, that's a challenge for me. It's easier to simply tell someone what the correct decision is or to make that decision for them than to teach them how to make the decision and then watch them make that decision on their own and potentially fail. Our children in our homes have the best opportunity. Let me, let me reword that. In our homes is the best opportunity for our children to experience failure. They're going to experience failure. Let's allow them to experience that in our homes where we have the, chan- we have the chance and the opportunity to help them, to help them back up to explain to them the, the incorrect decision that they made and lead them on. Let's not, let's not take all the decisions away from them and have them fail after they leave the home. Let's give them 
opportunities to make those decisions now in our homes. It takes time. It takes effort. But I think it's important long term. And then part of their soul is also their emotions, teaching them to regulate their emotions and use emotions to honor God rather than gratifying the flesh. And again, fathers, I think one of our emotions, one of my emotions that I have the most challenge with is the emotion of anger. I believe God gave us anger for a reason. But learning and teaching our children to learn how to regulate our emotions, I think, is hugely important um, as, they, as they grow older and as they have more control and more power in their own lives. So we are to protect as fathers, nurture and protect the body and the soul of our children. And we are also to nurture and protect the spirit of our children. You might wonder, what does that look like? I believe one of the most important things that we can do as fathers is to point our children to God at an early age. I think we know this intuitively, but children look to us for their first impression of God. Fathers, you are the first impression of God that your children will get. And it's important for us to be as close as possible to what God wants us to be. Now, that's a little bit daunting because we know our shortcomings. We know our, our failures. I'm sure, fathers, I'm sure that you've seen and noticed that you don't respond perfectly every time. And we aren't always perfect. But secondly, I want, us, I want to encourage us to use our shortcomings. Our shortcomings can be a powerful tool to communicate to our children what God is like. I believe that our shortcomings as fathers can be a powerful tool to communicate to our children what God is like. By recognizing our limitations and our shortcomings, by humbly saying, I'm sorry, and by pointing our children to God as the perfect father, I believe is the way that we can use our shortcomings as fathers to share with our children who their perfect heavenly father is. So let's, let's do our best in being a godly father and being the father that God would want us to be but let's not waste our shortcomings. Let's, let's allow God to use them as well to make an impact on our children. I don't think there's much that impacts children more than a father humbly saying sorry for a mistake that he made. I believe, fathers, we have opportunities in that area. But as fathers and as nurturers, we need to be careful with the responsibility given to us. We can abuse that responsibility that we have. We can abuse that power that we have. Don't forget that child was given to you, handed to you by God, and you are there to protect the body, the soul, and the spirit. And you have the opportunity to take advantage of that for your own benefit, or you have the opportunity to take advantage of that for the benefit of God and his kingdom. And fourthly, God has called us as fathers to be providers. Fathers are to provide well without becoming workaholics or greedy. Fathers are to provide well without becoming workaholics or greedy. And as a young father, I clearly remember the first time that we went shopping for appliances and furniture. I never dreamed that those things cost that much. 
And as the years went on, we purchased a house and a minivan, and now we're starting to pay for education. And again, it's amazing how much things cost. And someday soon, I'm guessing we will be paying for braces, additional vehicles, and the list goes on and on. And so as fathers, we are responsible to physically provide for our children, for our families. Beyond that, we like to give our children things. I don't know if you've noticed that, fathers. We like to give our children things, and we want them to have the nicest things. And if we're not careful, we want them to have the nicer things than all the other children have. And it begins to add up. I believe, as fathers here, my guess is that most of us are pretty serious and pretty good with providing physically for our children. But perhaps the greater challenge for us in our location and at our time in history is the battle against the temptation of working too much. Not working not enough, but working too much. And this can be caused sometimes by a deep sense of responsibility, perhaps to the company that we work for or the organization that we're involved with. Or maybe this results from greed, from the desire to have more stuff and more things and more money. And so, fathers, the challenge for us as providers is to provide well, to provide enough without becoming workaholics or greedy. And so I believe that there's four things, fathers, that God has called us to. God has called us to be visionary. Fathers are to cast vision and to be able to deep focus on the task at hand without missing the moment. Secondly, God has called us to be teachers. Fathers are to teach and to, and to discipline without abusing power. Thirdly, God has called us to be nurturers. Fathers are to protect and to care for those in their care without taking advantage of them for their own good. And fourthly, God has called us to be providers. Fathers are to provide well without becoming workaholics or greedy. But now I'd like to speak to the young men for a moment. And I'm thinking specifically men ages 13 to 19. You know who you are. thought about getting young men to stand up, but I didn't get the fathers to stand up, so I won't get you to stand up as well. And we could broaden this a bit to men ages 10 to 21. So if you're in that age range, young men ages 10 to 21, I want to talk specifically to you for a bit. Many of you, starting around the age of 10 and probably ending at around the age of 21, there's a transition that takes place at the point in life that you're in, and that is you begin changing from being primarily a taker to being primarily a giver. Now, we all experience give and take, and there's, there's times in life uh, maybe there's a health challenge. Uh, maybe there's a traumatic experience that we're going through as adults where we are more takers than givers, and that's appropriate from time to time. But probably starting around the age of 10, young men should begin this transition of being primarily takers to primarily givers. Now, in past generations, this happened automatically. If you were 12, you probably had to work hard 
and give to your family just so that you could have the basic necessities of life, uh, food, clothing, and shelter. But today it's different. I'm guessing most of you 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, if you were to hold a job, I would guess that you could probably keep most of the money yourself. Now, your dad might make you pay for room and board a bit, which probably wouldn't hurt. Um, But I would imagine that dad could let you keep all the money yourself and you could spend it on whatever you want. Dad wouldn't need you to work for him in order to provide the basic necessities of life. And so that's been a shift in our culture in the last, let's say, 50 to 100 years or so. Maybe not even that, that far back. And so the timing of becoming a man has naturally been pushed back just because of that. It's a natural result of that. As a matter of fact, it's possible, and I would imagine some of you have met men like this who are fathers, who spend probably 95% of their life taking rather than giving. And unfortunately, in our society today, it's actually possible to do that, to be a father and do that, as long as you have a wife that has a reasonably decent job. That can happen, and that does happen, unfortunately, in our society. So I've appealed to your fathers to make you learn lots of things before you turn 15, but I want to appeal to you young men as well, because a lot of this is in your hands. I believe in the time from ages 10 to 15, you probably are, you should be transitioning into a young man where you can care for yourselves and start looking out for others. And I would encourage you that in that time from age maybe 15 to 20, that you would begin the transition from being a young man to being a father. And when I say that, I'm not saying that you should have children by the time you're 20. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that you should be at a point in your life where you can care for yourself, but you could also physically, emotionally, and spiritually be stable enough to care for others around you in a selfless way. And you have opportunities to do that, lots of opportunities. In our culture today, there are many opportunities to be a father without physically having children. And I'm thinking of clubs as one opportunity. I'm thinking of being a good older brother. Uh, We have opportunities to go into VS. And as you stretch out your wings and begin doing some of those things, you will be amazed at the opportunities that you have to be a father-type figure to other people, particularly other young men. That's what I would like to encourage you to be involved in. Now, it may, may seem a bit idealistic, uh, you might think, but I, and I also want to recognize that there's many factors that make this challenging or impossible in some cases. But my goal, young men, is for you to be looking ahead and thinking ahead to the opportunities that are ahead so that you're preparing yourself now for those opportunities that God has in front of you. The idea of being an adolescent for a long period of time, which I believe the culture around us would probably say that's when children begin enjoying the benefits of being an adult without taking on those responsibilities. That's a modern construct of our culture that has no basis in Scripture, and I don't think it has any room for us to entertain that as well, at least that that I can see. So I want you young men to be thinking now particularly ages 13 to 19, and I'll stretch that out to ages 10 to 21, be thinking now about opportunities that you have and that you'll be exposed to in the next couple of years to be a father-type figure to other young men in your area 
of influence. So I want to conclude here today by saying the task that God has given us as fathers is no small task. Being a father is exceedingly challenging. We're called to be leaders in the home, leaders in the church, leaders at school, leaders at work, leaders in other organizations that we're a part of. It may seem from time to time that we just don't get a break. We are to represent God to our children and Jesus to our wives. And that's no small task. As a matter of fact, it's impossible. And it's the most difficult thing, probably, that you will ever try to do. But my encouragement to you fathers is this. You don't need to do big things. You don't need to post on Facebook about your trip to a distant wilderness land. You don't need to make a lot of money. You don't need to make sure that your children have all the latest toys and gadgets, etc., etc., etc. You can do simple, seemingly unimportant things. Things like taking a moment to talk. Things like teaching a skill. Things like saying sorry when you responded in a way that you should not respond. Because after all, it's really the little things repeated day after day after day in the monotony of life that makes the great impact. And it is things like this that will impact our families for eternity. A number of years ago, uh, it might have just been a year ago, I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was, Jason Smoker read a little poem-type thing at the end of his Mother's Day sermon. And so I took that and changed a few words, and I'm going to try to put a spin on it for fathers. Somebody said that being a father is easy. Somebody never had to keep the fishing lines untangled, keep worms on the hooks, and keep the hooks out of the hair simultaneously for three boys under the age of six. Somebody said that being a father is invigorating. Somebody, had, somebody never had two boys begging to play wiffle ball after a long week of work. Somebody said that being a father is straightforward. Somebody never had to try to figure out why his daughters were uncontrollably crying or giggling. Or somebody never attempted to decipher the artwork on a three-year-old's Father's Day card as she waited patiently for him to tell her what it was. Somebody said that being a father sharpens your focus in life. Somebody never had to try to stay awake in church after spending all night up with a crying child. Somebody said that it's impossible to provide, to love, and to care for more than three children. Somebody never had four, six, eight, ten, or even twelve children. Somebody said it's such a relief to see your children grow up. Somebody never had to watch their child go to the first day of school or first day driving or go for their first date. Somebody said that the type of father that I am really doesn't matter. Somebody didn't understand the eternal impact that a father has on his sons and daughters and their friends and their sons and their daughters and on and on. Somebody said that being a father is not worth the hard work 
Somebody never had four happy children run out to his truck right when he came home after a long week of work. Let's kneel for prayer.